Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Me too. I'm hanging in there like a hair in a biscuit. <laughs> hey, you know, um, I think the Lord is trying to say something this morning, both through the songs that we sang and that little picture that Audrey gave. And I have another picture that I can that, that's running around in my head. And it really has to do with our story, so I'm going to say the picture. Um, how many of you have ever heard the word glory, like the glory of God? You know, there's a, theologically, there's another definition for it. It means weight, weighty, heavy. And uh, sometimes the Lord, you know, He does signs and wonders, and He gets on us, and manifestations happen. And uh, um, some of you may have experienced the glory of God coming on you, and you just get just heavy, like, oh, and then you end up on the ground, and then you feel like, oh, wow, that just feels really heavy, and there's, like, nothing you can see or touch on you. Weight, right? Um, so weight plus gravity goes down. You figured that out? And, you know, sometimes when we get down in the way we think, or we're downhearted, or the devil's done things in our lives that kind of push us down, and we feel like the ground is cracked open, and we fell in the crack, and we've gotten way down in there, and we've gotten lodged in our thinking, in our emotions, in our heart. And I think that's... Um, really why the glory of God, the glory of God means His essence, who He is. There's no crack, there's no crevice, there's no low place that He will not go to on this side of eternity in His pursuit of me and you. And... I just want to really reinforce that idea because the life of God, it comes off of us. Even when they anointed Old Testament priests and kings, they would pour oil on their head. They did some other things, but they would also take a horn or a flask and they would pour oil on their head and it would go around their head. In which direction did it go? Down. Down. And I know that, you know, there's multiple meanings and things, but I know that the Lord is wanting to say to you that there's no place so down while you draw breath that His essence can't find you. And so in the interest of God's essence, His heart, the expression of who He is, seeking Every crack and every crevice in, in existence on this earth where there are people, whether they went there on purpose trying to hide, whether they got swept there in innocence and injury and gotten lodged by a storm or a hurricane or something, maybe you were even born in one of those crevices. The weight of the essence of God is looking, it's penetrating there. There's nowhere that it can't go. If you are there, it can and is there pulling at you. And God does that not just esoterically, not just sort of um, substanceless, because, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, there was this curtain in the temple where God's presence was confined in the earth, in the temple, in one location. There was this big curtain that separated the most holy place. That's where His presence was. It tore open. He came out. Yes, we have access, but He came out. And He is in every place on planet earth. But the difference between the engagement of people with His presence and His presence there is one thing. That's you and me. 
and how we go and we interact. And so I had an encounter with the Lord Jesus in 1989 in our first year of marriage. Audrey, stand up. This is my awesome wife, Audrey. And we've had a family together, and we've been married 30 years. Thank you, Jesus. And we had four children, and, and now we have four grandchildren. So that's pretty amazing. One of them's here. Where's Micah? Say hi, Micah. Oh, he's asleep. And so the rest of my family, D David, this is my youngest son. Stand up. Some of you know David. This is my oldest son. He's next. He's holding the baby. I better not mess with the baby too much. That's Jacob right there. And this is Cassie, my daughter-in-law. And then my sister. Some of you know, stand up. This is Kim, my sister. And my brother-in-law, Dale. Dale, stand up. Stand up and wave and say hi. <laughs> we love them. And I'm, I'm so blessed and so thankful for my family. Um, Jesus has done amazing things in my family. But anyway, let's see. Where was I? I was somewhere. 1989. <laughs> Audrey's pregnant with Hannah, our first. Yes. And um, I quit working and jumped out there to try to follow God and His calling for my life. And, and we were in uh, Wyoming in Yellowstone National Park, and I was seeking God and wandering around out there with the buffalo and the elk and the bears. <laughs> and I climbed up on this mountain, and I was talking to God, and I had this encounter with him that changed my life. And he, he told me, he spoke to me, and he showed me all this stuff, and I saw it in a big vision. And, and, uh, and then he said to me, essentially, I want you to recruit, train, place, and pastor missionaries. And I was like, me? Who, me? Like, uh-uh. This is not working. I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. I failed my high school term paper. <laughs> I can't do that, God. Uh, but even though Kent was screaming in my head, it's a funny thing when you put one foot in front of the other where it might take you. And if you, you know, you can make decisions in the face of even what you believe about yourself that lead to extraordinary things. And so I'm one of those people, that's how come I know. And so I didn't think that I could do it, and I didn't think he would do it for me, but I... I started anyway, and I walked through some steps about three years after that. We moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado, and a church named New Life Church there became our home church, and there was this guy, this really awesome guy that was a worship leader at the time. His name was Ross Parsley. Where's, is Ross here? Can Ross stand up? <laughs> Him, right there. <laughs> And we met each other, and that was before he and Amy. Amy, stand up. <laughs> That's before he and Amy got married right before then, and I don't remember what year y'all got married. So if it's, if it's not exactly right, just act like I remember right. But anyway, we became friends then, and we, we started walking through life, and I was, um, I was more of a troublemaker than anything. <laughs> And you yeah, see, and proof that he really got to know me. And, and, huh? Trouble for the devil. At least that's my point. And um, in 1996, uh, I moved, my wife and I moved our family uh, to Paraguay, South America. David, stand up again and wave. This is David, my youngest son. He was in Audrey's womb when we moved to South America, and he came out of her womb when we lived down there. So he's Paraguayan. And, um, <laughs> and so uh, we started on the mission field there, uh, and then we ended up in Mexico the next year in 1997, in November of 97, and we started church planting. So, and I tried trying to figure out how to speak Spanish. And uh, where'd that guy go? Yeah, I did. I struggled through learning how to speak Spanish and learn how to engage with a different culture and went through a lot of bumps and started grappling with the difference between expectation and reality. 
and I've, 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 Ross and I've talked about this, I don't know, it seems like a thousand hours, about really probably the biggest deal in life is managing expectations versus reality. Like, I didn't sign up for this, or how about this? Especially if you run head into something where God doesn't meet your definition of good or love or whatever, whatever it is. What is that? That's expectations and reality being two different things. And so we spent from, from 1996 and our, our jumping out in missions all the way up until um, about 2010 where God was migrating expectation and reality as close as I would let him make it be. And he did somehow give me an attitude to kind of try to lock on to and keep telling myself, I got to find God's perspective. I got to find God's perspective. I got to find God's perspective. And it's really extraordinary how that will help you. If you re and, and you understand that if, if, if I'm having a thought that wants to malign God in any way, my perspective is somehow different than His. And we need to be tapped into His perspective, which is about expectations and reality. And so anyway, and, and um, we participated in calling workers onto the field, and, and I started trying all this stuff and training in the ministry that I was in, uh, they put me in charge of training in the new, the new workers, and so I was. God was speaking to me, and I was, I was asking questions, and I was finding some answers, but really generating more questions. Every question I asked, and when I thought I found a solution, it created more questions. You ever, anybody ever? Yes. And so, in in the interest of all that, we were struggling, but I finally got to the point where. We left Freedom Ministries, and we, and we started Mountain Gateway. And God spoke the name Mountain Gateway to me in 1989 on the top of the mountain, and I was waiting all those years. And there was a whole trainload of times where I thought, that's never going to happen. But he, he, now, now I, I'm not trying to depress you that it took me so long. That's just indicative of how hard-headed I am. <laughs> And so we bumped through this, and, and we're going along, and, and we started Mountain Gateway really in about December of 2009. And when I say we started, I mean we got the corporate structure all, all ready, the beginning structure. We've gone through a whole bunch of stuff. And then in 2010, somewhere between, you know, for like two years of ruminating and discussing, really mostly 2010, um, Ross and I started asking each other questions and because we kind of got in a similar turbulence about, wow, God may want us to take another step and he may want us to move out and he may want us to like start something, engage with him something. And that's something that he stepped out to start with is you. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. And then that's something that I started out to to kind of stepped out to start with is called Mountain Gateway. How many Mountain Gateway people are in here? Stand up if you're in here. Well, there was some more. There's another one. There's Marcus, Chad and Gabby. Some of you know Chad and Gabby Pritula. They work on our property here in Dripping Springs and pretty awesome people. And so we started kind of wrestling back and forth and asking each other questions and dreaming and poking and irritating each other. Actually, me irritating him and him being gracious and 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 growing in friendship and and all those wonderful things and then in 2012 may the 1st 2012 y'all remember and some of y'all in here remember the Ben Garza house raise your hand well i parked my trailer my 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 uh, my RV trailer there for a year and we kind of went and we came and went from there as we traveled all over the united states preaching and and trying to call workers and trying to get somebody to train. And the Lord sent us uh, some folks. And on May the 1st, 2012, we, we all gathered up at the Ben Garza house and we loaded up a bunch of equipment and we drove off to go start the training. And I'll explain a little bit about what we do and how we do it that's kind of 
uh, emerged from an encounter that um, a guy had on top of a mountain who didn't think he could do it. And pretty amazing. Uh, then Mountain Gateway bought some property in Dripping Springs in January of 2013. And then uh, we kept moving and we kept going because we had a bunch of churches in Mexico that, that we planted over the years, me and, and my family. And we kept, we kept maintaining that. And then also in 2013, we opened up uh, the country of Nicaragua. And we started working there. And then we had another group, April the 1st, 2015. People that decided, I'll unhook my life, and I think God's called me. Will you help me? I don't know if I can do it, but maybe I can try. And I'm like, that's right up in my toolbox, baby. Let's lock arms. And so they showed up, and, and some of y'all have been out to our place in Dripping Springs. There's that big old giant building, 7,000 square feet there, where all them students framed that building in. And we're happy that they did a good job because it hadn't fallen in. It's not going to fall in because it's well built. And, and we started the training April the 1st. And then um, in 2018, last April, just a couple of months ago, we ordained, Mountain Gateway ordained its first 10 Let me see how to say this. Our first group of ministers that really have been qualified through all of our system and everything about it. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? Thank you, Pastor. That is. I'm excited about that. Because if you could just know the world I lived in when God, since God spoke to me, I never thought that day would happen. That's amazing. That is amazing. And so... Um, here's what our training looks like. Because as we've gone through the years, we've seen a whole lot of people quit. And I've, I learned a long time ago that the number one reason why missionaries quit the field is they can't get along with each other. Isn't that terrible? That shouldn't be. But you know what? People's inability to get along with God and themselves, that's the reason why this book is thick. So it's really, not a, it's really not a new or unique problem. And if you get a bunch of people that are, have enough guts to jump out there and try to start following God into the unknown, you know that hell is going to work overtime trying to stop them. And the number one way that he hitherto for has been successful is he gets us to misunderstand one another. And... And somehow that misunderstanding that exists between us also it gets, we, we tangle God up in that too. And so anyway, um, in, because of all that, there's a process. And God spoke to some stuff to me on the mountain that started me learning. And it emerged into this, what I'm fixing to explain to you. Um, when we start having conversations with people who say, I know I'm called, or I'm preaching somewhere, or somebody else preached, and they ran down to the altar. I'm called. God's called me. I'm going to sell all my stuff and, and move to Timbuktu. Timbuktu is in Africa, by the way. And, you know, uh, we have a whole sampling of people that did the ready, fire, aim thing. And they, they really got themselves in bad trouble. And it's not because God is not able. It's because something about us needs to be developed. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. There is a making process. Make disciples. Disciples are made, they're not born. And so we have an encounter with God and we're like, I'm there. But really... Statistically, most people don't make it from that encounter to a lifetime of longevity with hell. And so because that, because 
that because that is true, he really wants us to engage with one another. And really, whether you're called, whether you want to go like to some other country and and minister outside your home culture or not, we really need each other or we don't do so well alone. We need to connect. And so, anyway, we start this training. I have these conversations with people, and we're like, you know, they're, they're, they want information. They're, they're, it's like a big question mark because you've never done this before. And now, on this side of things, after being on the field however long we a long time, <laughs> Since 1997, we can answer some of, some, of, some of those questions. What's it like to raise kids on the field? Well, we did that. Can you raise kids on the can you Can you take your kids with you? How do you what happens with, with raising support? And all the, all the questions that exist, all the reasons that your mind and the devil and society and sometimes family members and everybody want to tell you it's not going to work. It's helpful to have somebody with skin on to have a conversation with. So at the beginning of that conversation, we say things to them that are real encouraging, like, okay, we'll help you, but I'm going to ask you for a five-year commitment. <laughs> Five years. Oh, yeah, because what we're doing is we're trying to grab, we're, we're trying to, to identify and link arms with people who feel like they are called for the rest of their life. So then five years is not such a big deal if it's in the context of your whole life. And so anyway, we say to them, five-year commitment to the training. And here's what that looks like. The first year and a half consists of training inside the United States. You know, the military, the U.S. military, they do basic training and, and skills training. They do almost all of that inside the United States before they deploy people. Why? Because they're trying to set them up for success and give them the right stuff so that when they get on an actual battlefield, they can actually do their job and thrive. That's the whole deal, right? So we do the same thing. We train people starting at home. A year and a half. Here's what that year and a half looks like. We have an orientation and logistics semester. That's two months. We have a wilderness semester. That's three months. That's where we put backpacks on people and we go in the wilderness. Wilderness means wilderness. This is not like some hidden thing. It really does mean sleeping on the ground in the backcountry. Then we have a prayer and Bible semester. That lasts four months. And we do that all around at different churches. This is one of them. We go all around with the team to different places in different cities in the United States. Then we have a technical skills semester, and we do most of that here in Dripping Springs now. And what do we do there? Well, we get my sister Kim. Kim, wave everybody. She'll teach you which side of the plate your fork should go on. <laughs> Etiquette. It's way more than that, but manners matter. Everybody know that? Raise your hand. And really, the Bible talks a lot about manners and honor and demonstrated honor and respect. And so, anyway, we do etiquette. We do, we do all kinds of building science stuff. And, and people learn how to work with their hands. And, and how to use a broom to sweep the floor instead of just push dirt around. Ladies say, amen. <laughs> yep. Because there's a connection between your hands, your head, your heart, and your spirit. That's why. And... Uh, family dynamics and societal dynamics have changed so much that um, really people are more and more distant from natural and normal, what used to be natural and normal, and that ends up being an extra hardship on people. So we're trying to set people up for success, right? And so then... After that's done, after that year and a half is done, then we send people down to Guatemala to language school. And that depends on you as an individual and whether you have a gift for languages or you have some base under you for language. But it takes, it's been taking everybody between four and nine months to learn Spanish. Then when they get done, then we put them either in Mexico or Nicaragua. Uh, we get more countries, we'll put you there. Um, and you get OJT. Everybody know what OJT is? On-the-job training. And so the capsule for that, that's really the most important part.
part, probably. That's where everything comes together. And we, we, uh, we have everybody log 157 weeks of that before we kind of stamp and say, okay, now you're trained. Now you can graduate. And if you put, if you're wondering how many years that is, that's three years. But it may not be three years in a row. Three years of on-the-field training. And so, um, all of this because the glory of God is down-seeking. He's looking for people that are stuck in cracks and crevices the world over. And either that is true or it's not true. Well, if that's true, that means he's alive. Right? Jesus is alive. I mean, he's really living. So let's talk about that just a second. I'm a witness to the fact that Jesus is alive. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Just what is possible if somebody makes a decision to start following Jesus? You know, that's what he did when he walked by his, his disciples. The first message he says is, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then once we do that, then what does he say? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And following Jesus consists of a whole bunch of little bitty movements that add up over a lifetime. How do you eat an elephant? If you had a big old dead elephant in here and you needed to eat him, how do you eat him? One bite at a time. See, you know, right? That's the making process. Everything that God does, and, and sometimes he engages with us and he does dramatic things. There are people that have been dramatically delivered of drug addictions and, and addiction to pornography and all these other things. There's a, there, but there's a whole bunch of other people that God deals with those things in little bites. And so it says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So the destination is where the Father is, who the Father is, with the Father for eternity. And that has a beginning point. And we have to make a decision to start. And one thing is certain, that somewhere on that road that is Jesus, you will encounter every single promise in this book. And if you find yourself in the situation where it's incongruent between your reality and what you hope for, what the Bible promises, all that you have to do in order to 100% fully and surely encounter it, is keep going. That's all you got to do. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. And after that, keep going some more. Winston Churchill gave that famous speech somewhere sometime to some group of people. I don't remember the details. But I do know that one time I remember that he did that. <laughs> he stood up and he said, never, 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 never give up. Right? And if you know Winston Churchill's story, he was the difference between England collapsing under the Nazi advance and resisting. And there was one thing that galvanized them. And that is what I just told you. That is the one thing that guarantees us the receipt of every promise in this book. Just keep going. If, you're, if, if you don't have it right now, just keep going. Given enough time, you can eat the elephant. Because it's a process. And I've... I've found that to be true in my life so far. Just what happens when we dare to follow Jesus? Well, how about this? 
Matthew chapter 11, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? What was he asking? What was the question they were wondering about? They got hundreds of years. Look, you know, hundreds and hundreds, over a thousand years of wondering about that question, when is Messiah coming? So they got all this teaching, they got law, they got, they got stories, they got all kinds of stuff that's built their expectation and their perception around what that means. And John sent his disciples to see, are you the guy? Are you the one who's bringing the good news? Are you the Messiah? Are you God's son? Are you the one who's going to change everything? Are you the one that's going to change history? How did Jesus define the answer to the question? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. You see, the gospel is divided into two big ideas. One is hearing. The other is seeing. Right? You see it? Do you see two things written there? I see one, two. And one of them means 50% and the other means 50% if there's only two parts. At least that makes sense to me. Then he says, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. Now this is the best, concise, direct articulation that I know of, of the gospel by the Lord Jesus himself. Now, this is what was happening. We got a whole bunch of other stuff written down here after that that unpacks it. Right? But in Hebrews 13, 8, it says plainly, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same whether that's your experience or not. He really is the same. It's okay to believe that. And so I... I can, I can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk some more. And I can talk a lot about miracles and signs and wonders. And I, I mean, I like, to th I like to think and I like to think about thinking. And I want you to know that I'm a witness to the fact that Jesus is alive and He is doing now what He used to. And so let's pick some. How about this? The blind receive sight. I'll start with me. In 1984, I went blind with a disease called macular dystrophy. Any of you know what that is? Some of you know what that is. Or macular degener degeneration. It's where you get this genetic genetic thing in your eye and something goes click and the eye and the cells in your eye begin to die and you lose the ability to see and eye cells are like brain cells they don't regenerate outside of some kind of genetic engineering thing and that happened to me I stayed blind for about four months and Jesus healed me and my sight came back in an instant it took two weeks to disappear. It came back in an instant like somebody turning the light on. So that's what's wrong with me. See, my sister Kim, raise just raise your hand. Her spine used to be crooked, and Jesus touched it and straightened her spine out. It's called scoliosis. Y'all heard of that? Oh, yeah. How come? Oh, that's right. How can this be? How can this be? He either is or he isn't. It either means something or it doesn't. And if you're not experiencing too much, believe it and just keep on down the road. It'll catch up with you in just a second. I promise you that if you love Jesus, when you get to the end, your body is going to work fine. 
100% success here. <laughs> oh, yes. Gosh, I'm lost in the time. Let me hear. I got I to gotta, I gotta pay attention because, see, I have too much to talk about because I have messed around and gotten a lot of living message in me. And so, anyway, uh, there's a bunch of great stuff here, and I can, talk, I can give you multiple examples of this, but I want to, yeah, read my book. <laughs> Go get my book and read it. I, I wrote about stuff in there, and I was so happy because I didn't have a limit on how many words I could use, so <laughs> there's 62,000 words in there. I can't fit 62,000 words in this, you know, 20-minute preaching slot that I'm robbing another 20 minutes out of. <laughs> I love you guys. So, Jesus is the resurrection and the life, he told Lazarus's siblings, didn't he? I'm the resurrection and the life. And so he went and raised Lazarus from the dead. And you know what? We think about that, somebody dying, as, as the, like the most impossible thing having to do with a person. Right? But let's think about that. And you all know what the definition of impossible is? There aren't degrees of impossible. Impossible is just impossible. Right? So a dead raising is not more impossible than something else that you may think is more possible, more of an more of a possible impossible. Doesn't even make sense, does it? Impossible is just impossible. It's the power of God that does everything, and we've seen people raised from the dead. <gasps> Did he really say? Do you mean spiritually dead, brother? Well, that too. We've had lots of people get saved and go from death to life. And encounter Jesus, which is the most extraordinary, amazing, greatest miracle. Right? It's a miracle that he's made possible. And we, we're all like all over that. Well, there was this guy. He got saved in Mexico. We started going to his house and reading him the Bible. And he lived. You know, there, was, there was a road really kind of to the bottom of his village. But his village really was on a mountainside really steep. And there were houses stuck all over the side of the mountain. And some, some of the slopes where they live is literally so steep that they dig out a socket inside of the mountain in which to put their house. And so he's, he's like that. His house kind of sits in a place like that. And he dug himself out a socket for his house to sit. And it's like a thousand vertical feet climbing from where... The road stops to where you get to his house, and so it goes up through this coffee plantation. And So we would go there regularly and sing and read him the Bible and encourage him and answer their questions and, and pray about their situations. And so we were engaged in that for a few years. And then one day he, he got it to the point in his relationship with God that... He was like, wow, maybe I want to try to connect with somebody else and tell somebody else about Jesus and about how excited I am about him. And so, so he starts going around with some of our other more trained and more capable ministers that we also trained and sent out. And so one day he's supposed to go to church to this village across the canyon from his house. And it was like, Almost the same altitude, but there was like a 2,000-foot uh, ravine between him and this other village. And so he hiked down to it and got a river in the bottom of it. He would hike down through the jungle, no roads, get down to the river and, cl and climb back up the other, other side, really steep. Did I mention it was steep? It's really steep, like 60 degrees. So he gets up there, and, and he's, waiting on, he's waiting on the, he's thinking, I'm going to get there. And the other preacher man's going to be there because he's really the one that has the service. But that guy, he couldn't come. He couldn't come. But he didn't tell this guy because they don't have telephone, email, Instagram, or any of that. And he don't, he don't have electricity to his house. He does have running water, but it's just a pipe running over the ground with a spigot out in the yard. 
And so, yard, yard. I don't think what they have is really a yard, but anyways, the space outside is his hut. <laughs> yeah, I don't want, you gotta, I like, gotta give you the right imagery here. And so he gets there, and uh, Rodolfo, the other pastor guy that's, that's supposed to be there, he's not there. And he, he finds turmoil because there was a lady that, was, that, that had gotten saved with us, but from another village, she walked over there because she knew that church was scheduled that day and there was somebody going to be there. She walked over there out of desperation because she was in a really tight spot. And her tight spot was her 10-year-old son had died. And so what they do in Mexico, you know, they don't have embalming and things like that. So the law says you have to bury the body in 24 hours. And they do all kinds of stuff in that 24 hours. And, and the thing is, is death is in the house with them. They don't take them off to a morgue. They die they bring them to their house, they do the stuff they're going to do, and then they go take them and bury them from their house. That's how it works. So this little, her son was laying on the only table that she owned in her house, in her main room, dead. And so anyway, she told everybody this, and our brother, his name's Justino, he got there. And this is what he walks into, and she finds out what's going on. And she said, can you please come and pray that God would raise, that God would do something? She didn't, I don't think, knew to say, raise him from the dead. She just knew that she had anguish in her heart and asked, will you come and pray? But our brother, he knew he was going to go pray. He was going to, she was asking, she's asking me to do something about this. What can I do about this? I can't do anything about this. So he canceled service, and they all, eight of them, walk over there the 15 or 20 minutes to hike into the next village. And Justino's walking along, and he said, Lord, I, what can I do about this? I, I have doubt. Anybody identify with that? Tango do the Señor. And the Lord spoke back to him and said, who are you going to be asking for help? He's like, what do you mean? Who, who, who are you going to pray to asking for help? And he said, well, I'm going to ask you, Lord. I'm going to ask you for help. And the Lord spoke back to him, and this should encourage all of us. The Lord spoke back to him, and he said, that's right. You're going to ask me. I don't have any doubt. It's okay. It's not about you. It's about me. And it's about you looking at me. Is that not a cool answer? Yes. Go ahead and clap. That's right. So they went over there. They started praying. They prayed in Spanish. Some of them prayed in tongues. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed until about 10 minutes later, they prayed about everything that they prayed. Actually, they prayed everything they had to pray probably about twice, and that took about 10 minutes. You ever felt like that? Right? So then they sat down in the room, and there's a bunch of unbelievers in there that hate the gospel and hate the sister's family, and they're there to say, they're not there to comfort her. They're there to say, I told you so. He died because you became a Christian. That's what they were telling her. Wow. So they're looking mean. And so the, all the Christians, the brothers and sisters, they sit down and they keep praying under their breath. And they keep praying and they keep praying. And 15 minutes goes by, nothing happens. And 20 minutes goes by and nothing happens. 30 minutes goes by, 45 minutes, 55 minutes, right around an hour. Somebody had the nerve to crank up, start up that dead kid's heart. God, the resurrection and the life touched his body and his heart started beating and the stiffness went away and the color came back and he sat up and he talked and all those people, those God haters in there, their eyes were big and they jumped up and ran out 
except for about four or five of them. And those said, those guys said, what do we have to do to get saved? Isn't that awesome? Yes. Jacob, my son, my oldest son, he's our head missionary in Nicaragua. He's got three, two or three other family, American families down there working with him. Marcus is one of them. Marcus is not married, so he's not technically a family. Marcus works in, in Nicaragua with Jacob on his team. And, and we just got a call from one of our new pastors who really for about a year evaded us, avoided us, ran, tried to hide from us every time any one of us would go to his house and knock on the door because, hey, I'm here to talk about Jesus again. I'm here to talk about the Bible again. And he'd want to say, don't come back. He just hoped that we wouldn't. But it's that thing about keeping going down the road when you don't see what you expect, right? We kept going. Is there a theme here? Like another bite out of the elephant, another step. He went from running from us to now he's a pastor. He has four villages where he has small congregations listening to him talk and teach about the gospel. And one of them has 60 to 70 people now in church every week. And there's 200 people in the village. That's all. That's a big percentage. Wow. Isn't that awesome? What if one chapel got that many percentage-wise number of people saved from Austin? That'd be good. Hey, why don't we do it? How do we do that? Just keep going one bite at a time. And when your reality doesn't match your expectations, keep going. Keep going. Jacob, come here. I got to hurry. I'm running out of time. Have any of you ever read the story in Acts chapter 9? Go ahead and do your thing, bud. Acts chapter 9 where Paul... He got in trouble because he was preaching. And he, he, made people, he made these people so mad they wanted to kill him. You know about that story? And then they told him, they told him about this like occurrence. And you know what they did? That he had to leave or they were going to kill him. It wasn't time for him to die, so he left. And Marcus, come up here and hold this so he can just pull it. Thank you. Or David, somebody, both of y'all. They're handsome guys, and so they'll just make you want to follow God just by looking at them. <laughs> now I'm really off script. What was I saying? Oh, Paul. Yeah, his preaching was so excellent that they wanted to kill him over it. And so a bunch of people had had to get together and put him in a basket and tie a rope to that basket and let him out the window of the, of the city wall and, and let him down so he could escape and not die. And it took more than one person. Paul couldn't have escaped by himself. He needed somebody to hold the rope. He needed somebody to partner with him. And you... Some of you, beyond your awareness, you've been partnering with us. And you know what? We're growing. We got more and more people coming together. The more people we get together, the heavier that basket gets. And the more hands are necessary. The bigger the thing God does, the more people that it takes to sustain. Otherwise, you cause ruin. And so I want everybody to stand up. See, there's a rope on the wall. Uh, on the wall. It is a wall for you to hang upside down. There's a rope laying on the floor. And what I want you to do is, if you're in the aisle, reach down there and grab that rope and pick it up. And reach, you got to reach across the aisle. Everybody grab the rope. And then the rest of you grab hands together. Now, I know the, those sections that are back there, Y'all, everybody hold hands. I want everybody in the building to be connected. Because this really is a little visual about how the church works. How much of that, the ones of you that are holding the rope, how much of it is in your hands? About that much, right? But you know how much work we can do? You know how much weight we can haul? You know how much weight we can let down? You know how many missionaries, just, just with us, 
You know how many missionaries you're holding up? 42 of us. How in the world did it go from just me and my family down there trying to figure out how to do stuff and how to work with another culture, thinking I'll never be able to get anybody saved because whatever. And now churches in places that have never heard the gospel since the fall of man are putting roots down. There's Juan Luis is not the only one that's working now. Why? Not because I was capable or equipped when God spoke to me. It's because I, I, even though I was scared, I took a step off the top of that mountain. And I walked through a bunch of low places. And you know what I found? The weighted glory of God is down there. There's no place so low that I can go to get below it if I'll just keep going. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And I want to thank you, number one. But I also want you to know that we need each other. You matter. You matter. Every single one of you matter. We're all connected in this one chapel community. Right? And I want you to clearly hear you're affecting people that would otherwise never, ever, ever get to hear. And it's not just us. You have other partners that you're connected with. You, could, you can get more involved with us. You can unhook your life and say, I know that God called me to be a missionary. And jump in with us and we'll train you and help you do what God wants you to do. You can pray for us, more focused. You can give financially. You can volunteer. We have a place out there in Dripping Springs. There's stuff to do. Call Chad. He'll, he'll give you something to do. But the biggest thing that's the most critical thing for you to do is also the easiest thing for you to do of all those things mentioned. Keep faithfully attending this body. But don't just come and not engage. Engage with each other. Engage in a small group. Everybody can lead somebody. Everybody can engage with somebody. And everybody has a deep longing for connection inside. And I know there's probably injuries and walls and all kinds of stuff and reasons why. Because we tried and it didn't work. But look, how do you eat the elephant? Get back on the horse. He buck you off. Get on him again. Keep going. If your expectations are not meeting reality the way you like it, keep going. Keep trying. Don't give up. Don't disengage. Connect. Then pay your tithe and give your offerings. Man, extraordinary things happen when we just take one step after another. God bless you.